If you always leave with value, then you know you're going to have success. You're listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience, a podcast dedicated to helping executives train their sales and marketing teams to optimize growth. Whether you're looking for techniques and strategies or tools and resources, you've come to the right place. Let's accelerate your growth in three, two, one. Welcome everyone to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. I'm your host, Chad Sanderson. Today, we're talking about how to democratize marketing, what to do to grow profitably, how to leverage the resources you have to make it happen, and more importantly, understanding the impact these decisions can have, not only on our businesses, but the communities and the world around us. To help us, we have Tony Guarnaccia, founder of Results Train. Tony, thank you so much for taking time and welcome to the show. Thank you. Uh, pleasure being here. So before we start, we always like to do a little icebreaker just so people get to know you a little bit better. And I'm always curious to know, you know, something maybe you're passionate about that those that know you largely just through work might be surprised to learn about. Yeah, well, I love music. Uh, and so before my career in marketing and, and sales and everything I'm doing now, I started off as a professional violinist. And so it's kind of funny, all the parallels, believe it or not, between business and marketing and and music. And so, you know, it's certainly still a passion of mine today. Was that was violin something you picked up uh, young and just stuck with or something you came to later in life? Yeah, I, I started when I was uh, eight, eight, and then went right through college, went to conservatory the whole bit. And it's kind of funny, because one of the lessons I learned back then really serves me today, which is to slow down to speed up. Because so many times we rush ahead, make bad decisions, hiring the wrong people, uh, you know, wasting money in advertising, things like that, where if you had a plan and you kind of broke things down, like I learned to do in the music school, you know, ultimately you'd be in much better shape. Yeah, there's too many people that think that just because they're moving fast, they're actually doing something productive. Correct. <laughs> Has a tendency to paint us into a corner oftentimes. All right, perfect. So let's talk about this phrase, democratize marketing. So I always like to start with a little bit of context for the audience. Kind of break that down for us. Help us understand when, when you use that phrase, kind of what it means to you. Yeah, well, it really starts with what I call the marketing revolution. And so if you look at, you know, 40, 50 years ago, it was pretty straightforward in how you were going to grow a business. You place an ad in a newspaper, boom, you got some business. You know, then things got a little bit more complicated with broadcast media like radio and television. You still could have a level of success. Then all of a sudden, the internet comes around. You have directories to organize everything, uh, a lot more complexity to the point where you have search engines like Alta, Vista, and, and Lycos, and Excite to the point where you then get to Google. You know, right. and, and their mission is to organize the world's information. All of a sudden, it's getting more and more complex. And then, you know, kind of the most recent iteration, of course, is social media and people consuming uh, content anywhere, anytime with, with the change with, with uh, mobile phones. And, and nowadays, you're not just competing against your competitors. You're competing against YouTube and Amazon and all these great companies that really, you know, command an audience. And so... What this has done is really created three main problems. Problem number one is that there's a lot of fragmentation. You know, before you could pick a couple of radio stations, a couple of newspapers, and you're all set. Now there's thousands, if not millions, of channels where you could potentially be. So that's problem number one. Problem number two is clutter. Once you actually find a, a, a channel that has a decent level of success, how do you actually stand out, differentiate yourself, and have your message heard? 
And then problem number three, once you get past those two hurdles, the third one can be very difficult, and that is technology. So nowadays you have to worry about pixels and tracking and analytics <laughs> and all this crazy stuff. And so the idea behind democratized marketing is a lot of times the skill sets are just in the largest companies, and even those companies have trouble, troubles with this. It's very difficult for anyone to execute on this. So the idea behind democratized marketing is to bring those strategies, tools, resources, tactics available to any business so that everyone has an equal opportunity for success. And so when we think about that, I mean, the, the, the dearth of options out there is, is overwhelming. I mean, I remember when SEO made my head hurt. Now, now there's so much out there that, that it's almost impossible for any one individual to have kind of the entire lay of the land. So let's kind of put it in context and think about, you know, right now everybody's dealing with <laughs> this lovely coronavirus yes. pandemic. And so some industries are booming. Some, some industries have seen an uptick. Uh, and of course, digital technologies being one of them. But there are companies out there that are focused primarily on how do I survive? How do, how do, I, how do I stay afloat in this very uncertain time? And so when you take this concept of democratized marketing, how do you help people approach or weather the storm? And more importantly, even not only get them through it, but I would assume you'd have to be looking at what's on the other side and how we set them up for growth and success. Yeah, absolutely. Just like Wayne Gretzky said, you have to uh, go to where the puck is going. So you want to <laughs> kind of position yourself for success. So easier said than done sometimes, but that's why I create a framework uh, called the results loop. Because what I discovered is that no matter the size company, the industry, vocation, you name it, they all, all growth comes down to really six key factors. And how you adapt or pivot, which is kind of the buzzword nowadays, is really dependent on these six factors. So if you find yourself in, in a challenging situation and you have some influence over changing it, then looking at these six factors is always a good thing to do. And, and so give us a, an example of those six factors. Sure. So the six factors are number one, the markets you're serving. Number two, the products and services that you're serving those markets with. Number three is the value you're providing those, those markets which answers the question why they would work with you as opposed to anyone else or do nothing at all. And then really three key drivers for growth, which is number one, getting new buyers. Number two, increasing the lifetime value of those buyers. And then number three, driving repeat sales, recurring revenue, and also referral business. So really looking at your loyalty. Those six factors together can drive exponential growth in, in any circumstance. So considering the, the wide variety of options out there, how do they take those six and how do you work with companies, help, help them understand how to take those kind of six pillars and make sense of or apply the expertise uh, to those different channels that are out there to accomplish their goals? Right. Uh, so the first thing you want to look at is your markets. So uh, that answers the question is, are you in the right market? And you, and you pair that with the products and services. So what you can do is you can look at, can I grow in new markets with my existing products and services? Can I uh, grow new products and service for, services for my existing market? So you can basically make a, a matrix, which you know this fellow named Ansoft actually did that. So if you look at the Ansoft matrix, that's essentially what it looks at. It looks at new products, new services, and new markets and looking at existing markets. So if you take those four, you can kind of plot out your growth. And that's where you can look at uh, opportunities. So if you're stuck today in the market you're serving, is there a market that is still having growth? You know, a lot of times you can you can pivot to the, that new market and then gr get growth that you wouldn't have normally realized. 
And so when, when companies are contemplating this or applying this type of process, are there pitfalls, red flags, things they should keep an eye on to make sure a, they're headed in the right direction and not, you know, driving off the side of the road, but things that will help them along the path? Or is this one of those things where you've got to get through kind of all of it, test it, try it, release it uh, before you can start to see if it was a success or, or well-targeted or not? Well, data is always key, but de depending on the size of business and your influence, what I always look at is really two key things. So if you're smaller and you have kind of oversight over the whole company, you really want to be looking at your profitability, number one, and the cash flow, number two. And so the key is to make sure you have enough profitability in the product to make it viable, but also that the cash is coming in, in at an appropriate time. But even if you're in a larger organization, that still makes sense to look at particularly the cash flow of it. So what, you, what I would be focused on, even as a middle manager, is looking at how can I get products that can turn quicker? Because a lot of times, especially in B2B, there's a long sales cycle. And so you know, one thing you might wanna look at now is what are products that have a shorter sales cycle, number one, so that you can prove the return investment uh, quicker. But then also, I would also be looking at uh, the factor number six, which is loyalty. So with your existing client base, are there certain products and services that you can provide them today? You know, so it's really looking at how quickly can you get that uh, money coming in and how can you do it at a relatively low cost? Because you always want to take into context your lifetime value relative to your cost per acquisition. Obviously, the lowest cost per acquisition is working with your existing client base and also referrals that they could generate on your behalf. And so the data allows us to, to kind of keep a... a stay on the pulse of it, let's say, see what's working, what's not, be able to do some of those, that, that analytics. When you get into a situation like we have with the pandemic, it's difficult, I think, sometimes for organizations to make logical decisions not overly influenced by emotional reaction, right? So they're scared in some cases, like how do I keep my company afloat? And are there ways that you work with organizations to help them understand that the data can be, I don't want to say a lifeline, but let, let's say a life preserver uh, that, that can help them reduce some of that stress? Or is that just kind of the natural way people are having to do business today? Yeah, I think we're, we're all a little stressed, but the data can definitely keep you level-headed you know, and not make necessarily emotional decisions. So now is a really good time to know your cost per acquisition, your cost per lead, looking at all those metrics within your analytics, but also it's a good time to make sure your CRM and marketing automation is, in, is on point because that's really going to be the key to knowing your markets you're going to serve. And really the critical thing with your markets is segmentation. So you want to look at your markets and segment them down to the ones that are most profitable, the ones that are, you know, buying consistently. And you also want to look at kind of how can you get more referrals, the things we just talked about. That's really the key. But to do that, you want to segment your market down as much as you possibly can. And so is there, you know, everybody's, we, we've had a shift, right? So not everybody's in the office anymore. We've got a lot of more people working from home. Does this change the way organizations should assess kind of the data that they're getting? Or does it change some of the fundamentals? Like I have, I have one client who is finding that their, their talk time when they're reaching out to people is much higher, but their conversion is much lower. Meaning what they're finding is that people are, they're okay to have a conversation because maybe they're 
enjoying hanging out with their family, but a little break would be good. Uh, yeah. And then, there, you know, and then there's those that uh, are completely focused on business survival or scale or growth. Does that impact some of those things? And does it create a, a blip in the data that makes it less reliable or some, some perspective, some other perspective people should be paying attention to so they don't, you know, again, drive off the side of the road? Yeah, absolutely. I had this conversation just the other day, actually. Uh, when you're looking at that, your metrics, I would take into context just the past you know, six months since we've been in the pandemic. So you want to necessarily rely on the data from a year ago or two years ago, even though historically that might have been your best performing. I would look at the recency. You know, It's like basic marketing. marketing. Your recency and your frequency, those are really key things to be looking at right now to kind of understand where things are going in the future. It's also a really good time to be looking at your competitors, running competitive analysis, looking at uh, search data, the keyword data, because you're gonna find differences in the search keywords that people are using, which are good indicators of future success. Uh, and also know your buyer's journey. Know what triggers drive them to buy in the future. That way you can get ahead of that curve when the demand picks up. Or even if the demand is there today, there's usually certain triggers that drive them to buy at a particular point in time. You need to know those triggers so that way you have your content in place to, to support that. That you know, you, This is where your emails and your blogs and all the things come into play to support your, your client base when they're, they're in, in that stage of the buyer's journey. And, and is there an example, maybe a client success story you can share about, you know, how working with the company's driven, driven results uh, and made, you know, brought to life the democratized marketing approach? Yeah, well, I'll share my own personal story. So um, I, my, I have a marketing agency in, in, in addition to the consulting and the training, and we ended up pivoting. And so what we did was we looked at our own marketing uh, because a lot of our clients happen to be obviously in B2B, but also in travel and events and weddings and industries that are really not performing well. And so we said to ourselves, well, what market should we look at? And that's when we said, well, boy, a lot of things are moving virtual right now. What, what can we do in that market? So we started a little segment in the agency for helping with marketing of podcasts of all things. Uh, and then we also looked at what else is hot? Well, virtual summits are hot. So now we're focused on uh, doing some work in virtual summits. And so the market kind of led us to the products and services. And now we're, we're coming up with the value proposition for that. We're coming up with initial buyers. Now we're looking at how do we get recurring revenue out of that? How do we drive loyalty? So we're literally going through that loop in our own business. Excellent. And, and it's definitely, it sounds like helping. So when you engage with clients, I mean, you've mentioned training, consulting, all that kind of stuff. What's a, what's a standard kind of engagement look like? How do you get involved with the organization? Yeah, well, what we really like to do is go through our framework. And usually we do it uh, in a couple of days sessions. Uh, obviously, it's virtual now. But we, we really delve into each of those six factors. We start with an assessment, though. That way, people kind of know where they, they are today. And actually, the assessment's free. Anyone can go online and take it. It's, it's at resultsscore.com. But you go there, you get the assessment. Then based on that assessment, we look at where do we really need to focus. And it really depends on, on the kind of company. Some companies have to go around the loop. So they start with their markets and looking at, do we have to go into a new market or not? Others that are already doing well, they're viable, Sometimes it's better to start with the last factor, which is loyalty, because the lowest hanging fruit is typically with getting your existing client base to buy again and again and getting them to drive referrals. Gotcha. Okay. And so uh, are, are we, is your organization focused just continentally, just U.S., or, or do you have customers that span the globe? 
I've worked with people all over the, the uh, country in English, uh, or I'm sorry, all over the world, uh, obviously speaking English uh, because I, I'm not fluent in any other language, but, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I generally it's in, uh, most of our clients are in the, in the States. Excellent. All right. So let's change direction here a little bit. We ask all sure. of our guests kind of two standard questions towards the end of each interview. The first is simply as a business owner, as a revenue executive yourself, that makes you a prospect for other people. So no doubt you're getting a bunch of emails, maybe some phone calls, people trying to get on your calendar. Always really curious to understand if somebody doesn't have a trusted referral into you, what is it that captures your attention and helps them earn the right to time on your calendar? Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, I mean, I'm very data inclined. So it's got to be something that is very analytical that can prove a quick return on investment. A lot of things I'm talking about here. So anything that's of interest in that area that can help prove ROI. So for instance, a big, I, I have a global company I'm working with you know, $2 billion company, one of the biggest challenges they have is with attribution. So how do you drive the, you know, how do you quantify the attribution of a sale all the way up to the initial contact, whether it was off a search or, you know, that's still a challenge. A lot of companies have that dialed in, but especially in B2B with lead generation where there's, you know, it's not straightforward, like you would have e-commerce, that's still a big need. And so things like that really get my interest because it's so easy to prove the return on investment. Well, and it's, it demonstrates that they know what you're into and things that will help you be successful and win. So it's kind of a show me, you know, me principle, make sure that you understand, you know, who, who you're targeting and, and ways to make it relevant to what you're focused on and, and the ways that you can help your clients. Is that kind of a fair assessment? Yes, absolutely. Excellent. All right. So last question, we call it our acceleration insight. If there was one thing you could tell sales, marketing people, one piece of advice, like you're limited to one, because I know we all have, we have a lot of advice we could give them, but if you had one piece of advice you could give them and they actually listened, uh, what would it be that you believe would help them hit or exceed their targets? Well, I go back to factor number three, which is value. Always figure out how you can add value to the person that's on the other side of the table or phone call or Zoom, <laughs> Zoom conference these days. But if you always leave with value, then you know you're going to have success because you, you know, it makes it very clear. So value can be done in a number of ways today. I mean, are you adding community to your, to your client base? Are you providing them things above and beyond what, what you normally would? Now's the time to be doing that you know, with prospects, always add value, whether it's a piece of content, you know, right now, actually going back to the podcast thing I was talking about, I'm, I'm creating some plugins for free, you know, things like that. So how can you add value to the market you're serving, whether it's a prospect, a client, or, you know, someone that's you've worked with years ago, always lead with value. And so when just out of curiosity, so when you say plugins for podcasts, what do, what do you, what do you mean? Help, help the audience understand that. Cause I know we've yeah. got a lot of people that do that. Sure. Well, right now I'm guesting on your podcast. And so what I notice, uh, what I normally do is I take, when I do one of these interviews, I'll take the, you know, photo and the notes and things like that and put it on my website. So people know that I was on your show, but the downside of that, that can take, you know, 20 minutes, 30 minutes for my assistant to do that. So I said to myself, wouldn't it be nice if there was just a plugin, you hit a button, it sucks everything in for me and makes life easy. So I'm, nice. I'm building that plugin. Excellent. That will be, yeah, that'll be a huge value for the podcasters out there. It's amazing how much time uh, it takes to, to take the, the content that we create and, and 
get it on the channels that it needs to be on. Absolutely. It's a lot of work. Yeah. Anybody, it's not for the faint of heart. That's what I figured out three years ago. I thought, ah, this should be pretty easy. No, it's really not. So <laughs> anything that helps speed that up is, is greatly appreciated. So, all right. So if we, if the listeners interested in talking more about democratizing marketing or learning more about the services that your crew offers, where would you like us to send them? Yeah, probably the best place is go to my website, uh, meettonyg.com, and then scroll down to the bottom and you can connect with me on LinkedIn. So LinkedIn obviously is a great place for people in B2B and I have a pretty active uh, profile. And so that's a great place to connect with me directly and uh, reach out. Excellent. I can't thank you enough, Tony, for taking time to be on the show. It's been great to hear your perspectives today. Thank you. Yeah, it was a, a lot of fun. Excellent. All right, everybody, that does it for this episode. You know the drill, b2brevexec.com. Share it with friends, family, and coworkers. Until next time, we at Value Selling Associates wish you all nothing but the greatest success. You've been listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show on iTunes or your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.